What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. We are starting a new series today on the performance of a lifetime. Sometimes you do something so people will like you, so you can measure up and meet people's expectations. And sometimes we treat God the same way. We are not called to God by God to a performance where we act perfectly, though. We are called to humbly pursue a gracious and loving God. As we consider what it is that God calls us to in this new year, I invite you to hear our scripture for today. It comes from the Gospel of Matthew and is known as the Beatitudes. Beatitude just means blessings, so you could think of this as Jesus offering blessings to different groups of people, especially to those who suffer. They are the promises of God for the future kingdom. Asal couldn't make it today because of the snow, so I'm going to read for us. The story up to this point has been about Jesus' miraculous birth, his temptation in the wilderness, and then the beginning of his ministry. Here in the Beatitudes, or Blessings, is the first chunk of Jesus' teaching. He talks uh, a few times, uh, we've talked a few times in the last year about how difficult this teaching can be. This passage is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's hear how it starts from Matthew 5, 1 through 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And from Genesis 1, verses 2 through 4, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Open our hearts to your word as we seek to give the performance of a lifetime, not for ourselves, not for others, but for you. 
Bless us now, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was a young boy, I remember having to put on a performance. All third grade students had to be a part of the school choir, and we would practice week in and week out with Mr. Thompson, the music teacher who would show up in our class with songbooks and his bass guitar. He would let us pick the songs to sing, and a favorite for our class was Bad Bad Leroy Brown, I'll leave you to figure out for yourself what part of that song our class loved to yell as loud as possible to make sure the principal down the hall would hear it. Uh, But eventually, we had to get down to business and sing the songs for our choir performance. On the day of our performance, we ran through the songs one more time during the school and then headed home to return in the evening to sing for our family and friends. That night, though, after dinner, I told my parents I didn't feel well. To this day, I don't know if I really actually didn't feel good or if the nerves and anxiety of performing got the best of me. My parents told me I could stay home, and I never did have to sing those songs in front of an audience. To this day, when I hear the song Achy Breaky Heart, which is the only song I remember we had to sing that night, I still feel pangs of guilt. Years later, I learned that if you don't remember the lyrics to a song, all you have to do is mouth watermelon, watermelon over and over, and it looks just like you're singing. If only I knew that in third grade, maybe I could have saved myself years of feeling guilty. Now, singing in front of an audience isn't for everyone. Uh, Stats say about 7% of people have an extreme version of stage fright. They are going to have dry mouth, nausea, stuttering, tics, tremors, and other symptoms that make it really hard to perform well. But plenty of people have milder symptoms. In fact, I just found out this week that Adele and Rihanna, some of the most famous singers in the whole world, suffer from stage fright. They feel nervous, have sweaty hands. Adele has said she hates going on tour and would turn down jobs because she often vomits before going on stage. Sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? And yet these people are still able to give the performance of a lifetime. Despite these fears, how do they do it? How can they perform so well when they feel so sick, so bad internally, and, and still look so good on the outside. And how might we be able to do the same in our lives? We may not perform on a stage, but certainly we want to do our best for our friends and family, even in the workplace and with others. One thing I know helps the musical stars is preparation. It never helps to just try and wing it when you feel bad. That's what I did when I was the best man at my brother's wedding. I tried to prepare a speech a few hours ahead of time because I had forgotten that the best man has to give a speech at the reception, but I couldn't come up with anything, so I decided I'd just make it up on the spot. It turned out to be the singular most embarrassing moment of my life, and thank God it was before everyone had cell phones to record those moments. I would never live it down. One thing's for sure, I'll never try and give a speech without a plan again. You gotta be prepared. 
Make note cards. Practice in the mirror. Know your material well so you aren't thrown off by surprises. It makes you perform better, right? And then there's the mental aspect. Relax, take deep breaths, acknowledge your fear, and psych yourself up. I used to love listening to my favorite music before I would step onto the field for a soccer game. Before I had to take my driver's test to get my driver's license, I blasted this one song over and over about having a a peaceful feeling and, and that our assurance comes from God. Sure, I could fail the test. It might happen. But that's not what gives me meaning and purpose. That comes from God alone. So if I can put my fears at bay and just get through it, who knows? Maybe it will turn out okay. And it did. I got my nerves down just enough to get through the test, and I did good enough to get my driver's license on the first try. Hooray. And I think this dynamic is at play in the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew too. We hear Jesus offering these blessings. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the persecuted. And maybe we aren't quite sure what to do with that. Should we give away all our money so we can be poor and then be blessed by God? Is that how we're supposed to become the blessed poor? And I think of St. Francis, who did exactly that after a life of luxury and being injured in war. He renounced everything and helped bring this huge transformation to the world. Do we have to give away everything, be poor and hungry, and make our lives difficult to be blessed? No, no, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. I don't think he encourages us to intentionally be poor, even if having wealth can interfere with making the right decisions for our lives. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to remind people of what life is like when you repent. Jesus is sharing with them a vision of what the world would look like if we were living with a different value system. These kingdom values begin with turning away from what the world embraces and instead embracing what God values. God doesn't value berating people and condemning them. God blesses them. So that's where Jesus begins. You are blessed by God whether you are rich or poor, hungry or fed, persecuted or not. You can be in the worst place and still be blessed Because blessing is not about what you have, it's about your connection to God. And that connection with God begins with repentance. Will you turn your life away from your own wishes and desires for money and power and fame and instead turn toward God? Will you give up what the world says matters for what God says matters? If you do, you'll find yourself blessed. Now, this is a pretty easy message at this point. Turn away from the world, turn toward God. Most of us agree with this. I bet most of the world even agrees with this in a general sort of way if they understand God's desires. But the real problem comes in between these two things. It's not just repent and then your life is full of blessing. No, there's something else that has to happen. When we repent, there is something required of us, of our lives, and what they look like, whether things are good or bad, whether we get what we want or not. And that requirement is found at the tail end of our scripture today. Verse 13 13 seems to sort of come out of nowhere. You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. 
what's going on with that? Do we have to put on some kind of stage performance now? It sounds like we are suddenly pretty important, doesn't it? Do we have to do something now that we've repented to get our reward? And the answer is 100% unequivocally yes. Once you repent, you must be salt and you must be light for the world. I love this question in the same verse asking, if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? People have wondered about this for hundreds of years. What does this mean? Can salt stop tasting like salt? And some people point to the Dead Sea, which is in Israel. They say it has these salt deposits that are impure, so when the real salt dissolves, what you have left are these impurities that might sort of look like salt, but certainly don't taste like salt. We go through these kinds of mental gymnastics or even scientific experiments to try and find salt that no longer tastes like salt, but that is not what's happening at all in the verse. We've totally missed it. Salt always tastes like salt, just as light always shines. There's a rabbi in the first century who was asked literally the same question. They said, how do you make salt salty again? He replied that one should salt it with the afterbirth of a mule. So what he's saying is that because a mule is sterile, they have no babies and they have no afterbirth. Uh, So in essence, what he's saying is that those who ask a stupid question receive a stupid answer. Real salt does not lose its saltiness. Unsalty salt is no salt at all and is worthless. The same thing is true of light. If you put a light under a bushel basket, what happens? A bushel basket is just a container that holds food. It could be a woven basket, but more likely here it means a regular old bowl. So Matthew is saying, put a large bowl over your oil lamp, and how much does your light shine? And the answer is none, because the light is going to go out. You can't be unsalty salt just as much as you can't be light from an unlit lamp. So here's our our quote for the day. A disciple of the kingdom who does not live like a disciple of the kingdom is worth about as much as tasteless salt or invisible light. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to give the performance of a lifetime Not for yourself or even for others, but for God? Then you have to be a real disciple of Jesus. You have to live the repented life. You have to commit yourself to the journey God has for you. This is the day for it. This is the year for it. It's 2024 and it's time to bring living a self-centered life to an end. I was on the phone with one of our members here this past week, and I asked him if he would help with something in the church. And after he agreed, he told me, you know, I made a New Year's resolution. And I said, oh, you did? What was it? He told me it was to be more irresponsible this year. So far, I'm doing a terrible job. That's what he told me. I told him not to worry because the year is long. He's still got plenty of time to be irresponsible. But come on, no one chooses to live a worse life. No one makes a commitment to make their lives worse by being selfish. 
let this year be a year of reflecting on what God has for us and making that the priority. Let's live like real disciples, letting our light shine so that the world might know a little more of who Jesus is. Our lives are blessed when they reflect Jesus. That's what it means to be his disciple. As we close, I can't help but think of our former music director. He submitted his resignation last week. So all this week, as I've talked with people, I've been asking them what they think about this transition. And people are sad for sure, and folks are sharing things that have been meaningful and important to them. I know the last time the church went through a transition with the music director, it led to incredible turmoil in the church. So I know folks are anxious. We're nervous, wondering what the fallout might look like. But in these difficult moments, I choose to do two things. One is to celebrate all the things that have happened in his ministry. So many people's lives were touched. So many people have shouted in song their joy in the Lord. So many have shed tears, whether from a song that has touched them or from a hymn sung at the death of a loved one. Let's not gloss over the good. Let's pause to remember it. But there is something else I choose to do in response to this change, and that is to reflect. We are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. The core of our faith is to love God and to love our neighbor. And any time there is a change in our church is a good time to say, how did we do? Did we love this person that was in our midst? Did we honor them and work to encourage them and build them up? And we'll never be perfect. We'll never get it 100%, but we can do better today than we did yesterday. We can make tomorrow better for this church and for the people we meet every day if we choose to be ready for them. Like an anxious performer, we know the day will come when our faith will be put to the test. What will we say? What will we do? Will we choose to put aside our own desires, our own entrenched views, so that we can embrace what God has for us? Will we choose to love the person who is in our midst? If we do, then we are letting our light shine, and we are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, may you be a true disciple today as you embrace what God has for you in this new year. Let your light shine. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.